Hi friends, this is episode 84 of the Bible Lab Podcast. You are listening to the Bible Lab Podcast, recorded before a very lively audience on the campus of Loma Linda University. Here's your host, Roy Ice. Hi everybody, I'm excited for you to be able to listen to the conversation we had in Loma Linda, but I also wanna let you know that we are diligently helping so many other communities to have their own Bible Lab, their own experience, you can use our study guides for free. We give you a ton of support and help you to get your Bible Lab off the ground. So just uh, go to our website, thebiblelab.com, go to the contact page, and make sure you send us a message that you're interested in pursuing having a Bible Lab in your town, and your community, and we will help you do just that. Today, in this conversation that you're listening to, we go the next step, Genesis 41, as we're talking about Joseph's life, and he's stuck in jail, and how did God not only get him out of jail, but why is it that instead of giving anyone else these dreams about the coming famine, why is it that God speaks to the pagans instead of speaking to the Hebrews? We're going to talk about that, this time on The Bible Lab. All right, are you guys ready? Okay, here we go. Number one, I have really strange dreams that wake me up sometimes. <laughs> oh, oh my word, do we need to talk. Yes, I gotta hear all these stories. I am seeing, <laughs> wow, I saw like 90, almost 95% yeses, and 3% noes and 2% maybes. Oh my word, we gotta talk. The funniest thing, I typically don't r- recall my dreams. I, I typically, I'll wake up and just be like, well, that was a short two minutes um, since my head hit the pillow. But what's funny is last night I was going through my 42 pages of notes last night, and uh, as I was going through, it's all about these strange dreams, strange dreams. We're going to look at two more dreams today. This is the fifth and sixth dreams of the Joseph story so far. And so I, I'm convinced that because I was going through those notes last night, that uh, that's why I kept waking up. I must have woke up six, seven times last night from the strangest dreams I've ever had. (laughs) Do you want to know what I dreamed? I bet you do. (laughs) Number two. (laughs) Uh, By the way, when I was writing this, what I really wanted to put here, but some people don't fit in the category, is my spouse has really strange dreams that wake me up sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's a whole nother Bible study. <laughs> Woo. Number two, most of the people in this room have not gone through the deeply humbling experiences that my life has been. Mm. All right. And since it's a double negative, okay, I have not. I know, I know it's a double negative. So I'm seeing about 50% no. Uh, and is there one yes out there? I see one yes two yeses, maybe, maybe three yeses, and the rest are maybes. Wow. You guys have had life pretty good. <laughs> I'm guessing all the maybes are, many of the maybes are you saying, well, I've had it pretty rough, but I don't know if people in, in this room have been humbled more than me. But I can tell you personally 
as I look at my life, um, I, 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 I think that if we had a chance to go around and just hear the life story, let, let's just start out from your first memory and let you tell us all the way to this day. I think many of us w- would be deeply shocked at what you've gone through, especially those of you that we'd look at and say, wow, they've had a silver spoon all their life, born with a silver spoon. Boy, they don't have any problems. They're always happy. Every time I see them, so cheerful, so happy. They don't know the experiences you've gone through, do they? And I think if we all went around and shared our life story, I think, I think we'd realize, I think we'd, we, we already love each other, but I think we'd love each other on an even deeper level understanding despite the pain, you're here. Despite the pain, you're smiling. Despite the pain, you haven't given up. You still have, you still have hope. And some of you are going through some of the deepest, darkest moments of pain right now, humbling experiences in your life. But you're here. And I think if we all heard the stories around this room, I, I, I know we're loving, but I think we'd be even more compassionate with each other, don't you? So I think we have to assume today there are stories that will never be told because they're just too dark and painful. And most of us don't want to even go back and refer to those times. We don't want to talk about those times because it stirs up within us the emotion, the the pain, the darkness of those moments. But I think today as we go through this conversation, we still need to assume that every single person here has gone through something we would never guess. And so it'll be interesting as we speak today to just hear that extra tone of depth as we share together. Number three, I use a euphemism here. God uses life-strengthening experiences for us to grow. God uses life, uh, sorry, God causes Whoa, this is a diff, I know. It is a big one. God causes life-strengthening experiences for us to grow. Okay, so we are split, and I know why, but I'm seeing about 65% yes. I'm seeing about 20% maybes, and the rest are no's. I know why we're split, and I know why there's so many maybes. It's that word causes, isn't it? Yes, because we know every good gift comes from God, but the question is, does God cause bad things to come into your life as a life-strengthening experience? I hear a lot of people say he allows them. So good, I'm I'm glad you're so stirred up on this because it's actually part of one of the questions we're going to go through. Because I need to hear your perspective on this because Joseph has a different perspective. And what you're going to see through the scripture today is Joseph's perspective is that God causes famine. That God designed it, constructed it like an architect, designed these pillars, and then fitted those pillars in place is the actual language that we're going to see in a moment. According to Joseph, God causes these life-strengthening experiences. So we're going to We're going to have a conversation about that today because the best way that we can deal with things like this is let Scripture compare with Scripture, right? 
because otherwise you can run this way or that way just using one story. So we'll get there and we'll, we'll compare some scripture here in a little bit. But number four, there have been times when I felt God uh, give me profound words to share. There have been times when I felt God give me profound words to share. I had a lot of laughter. I, I can't wait to hear this one. But this is actually really exciting. I did not expect to see about almost 90% yes. Um, hold your cards up high. I, I need to see. Thank you. Sorry. I, I only see a couple, like two, no, three no's, four no's, sorry, um, and, and the rest maybes. So the majority of you have felt times that God ha- gives you words to speak. Can I ask this? It's not on the sheet, but yes or no. Was it when you had to tell your child something? (laughs) Was it about that girl or that boy? Okay, never mind. I'm meddling. Okay. So the majority of you have felt times that God gave you words. Is that the coolest thing? God channeling himself through you. In a time when you, you had no words, God gave you something to say that was profound. And you walked away saying, pretty profound. I'm pretty smart. And then you say, well, no, there's no way that came from me. Can I tell you one of the most fun things that I get to do is listen back to the conversations that we have here. And I'm not making this up. Many, many times, almost every week, I'm like, whoa, where did that come from? And it was something I said. Because in this moment, the Holy Spirit is working with us, and God will use the opportunity to speak through us, and he's spoken through you as well. And you've said some things, I'm like, wow, that's profound, and you're like, yeah, I don't know where that came from. Because just as God can speak through the donkeys in the Old Testament, God still speaks through us. No offense, none taken. (laughs) God is love. Don't hate me. Okay. Number five. God seems to take forever when answering my prayers for deliverance. God seems to take forever when answering my prayers for deliverance. Look at, look at this crowd. Over 60% of you are spoiled because you say, no, God does not take forever in answering your prayers. But I am seeing, boy, I am seeing about 25 to 30% yes the rest maybe, and someone raised three cards. I don't know what that means. <laughs> Thank you for playing. Um, that means probably over half of you won't fully understand Joseph's experience. Waiting 13 years for deliverance. Sold into slavery at age 17, released from prison at age 30. Um, Almost half his life spent praying, God, can you please get me out of this? Things keep going from bad to worse, from one pit to the next. Um, Many many of us will never understand that. I, I was trying to recall as I was going through this this week, what have I had to wait 13 years for? And it seems so insignificant compared to what Joseph had to wait 13 years for. I was like, well, I had to wait 13 years to get out of debt so I could buy a house, thanks to the student loans. Um, 
But waiting to buy a house, I wasn't imprisoned. I wasn't, I wasn't a slave to anybody. I wasn't in a country that wasn't my own, in a culture that wasn't my own. And even though I could be, you know, poor me, Joseph went through 13 years of rock bottom that kept showing him there's a lower bottom. There's another level down below. And so as we go through this story today, I want you to think in your mind, yes, there have been moments in our life when God hasn't been speedy in answering our prayers. And I know, because I've talked to several of you, uh, there are several of you that God still has not answered your prayer, and some of these prayers are decades long. It's for your kids. Come back to church. Give God a chance. Uh, For some of you, it's other relationships you've been praying for. For some of you, it's health issues. Um, And some of you have had to go through the disappointment of God not answering a prayer and you've had to see a loved one pass on. And so I want you to hold that emotion in your heart as as much as you can so that this chapter will make as much sense to you, not just in knowledge, but emotionally. What does this story have to do with you specifically? Now, I'm going to have to do something I I rarely do, um, but I'm going to have to read through the whole chapter. Typically, we'll go piece by piece by piece, but how this chapter is written and how it kind of goes back and forth in some places, um, it requires me to read through the whole thing. So try to stay awake, Raul, okay? (laughs) Stay awake for me, buddy. And uh, I'm going to read through all 57 verses of Genesis 41. I'm going to read from the NIV. You're welcome to read uh, from any other version that you like. For those who are biblically, biblically impaired and don't have a Bible here, I have it on the screen. So here we go. Genesis 41, verses 1 through 57, NIV reads as follows. follows. When two full years had passed, whoa, whoa, what happened? Two full years since what? Ah, since the chief cupbearer and the chief baker had been released. One to life, the other to, well, not life. Yes, the, the baker didn't fare so well. So, Two years after Joseph had interpreted the dreams for them correctly, and he had the last thing he says to the chief cupbearer, please remember me. Talk to the Pharaoh. Get me out of here. Why? Because the warden of the prison was Potiphar. And because Potiphar's wife is the one that accused Joseph, there's no way Joseph's getting out of jail. Because the guy that's keeping him in there is the guy he, quote, offended. So he says, please remember me. And two full years pass. Think in your mind. You're super excited because someone is going to be able to take a message, like a carrier pigeon, out of the darkness and get you out. And you wait the first couple of days. Your prayers are still full of hope and joy and excitement, right? Then you wait a couple of weeks. And there's still some hope, but it's, it's waning fast. <laughs> then you go a couple of months, and you go several months, and then you go a year. And you realize the last verse of chapter 40 is the major feeling that Joseph has. But he had forgotten him. It's hard to live life when you feel like you're forgotten, especially by the significant people in your life. To live a life where you are forgotten, it means people 
not only have forgotten you, but they forget the pain and agony. They forget what you did to get them out. They forget what you did to help them during their dark time. And to be forgotten in those circumstances, that's about as deeply cutting of a knife as you can have. And so two full years have passed since our last session, chapter 40 last week. So when two full years had passed, Pharaoh had a dream. He was standing by the Nile when out of the river they came up seven cows, sleek and fat, and they grazed along the reeds. After them, seven other cows, ugly and gaunt, came up out of the Nile and stood beside those on the riverbank. And the cows that were ugly and gaunt ate up the seven sleek, fat cows. Then Pharaoh woke up. Can you relate? Yes. Verse 5, he fell asleep again and had a second dream. Seven heads of grain, healthy and good, were growing on a single stalk. After them, seven other heads of grain sprouted, thin and scorched by the east wind. Then the, the thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven healthy full heads. Then Pharaoh woke up. Whew, it had been a dream. Verse 8, in the morning, his mind was troubled. So he sent for all the magicians and the wise men of Egypt. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but no one could inter interpret them for him. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, Today I am reminded of my shortcomings. <laughs> Pharaoh was once angry with his servant, and he imprisoned me and the chief baker in the house of the captain of the guard. Each of us had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. Now, a young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. We told him our dreams, and he interpreted them for us, giving each man the interpretation of his dream. And things turned out exactly as he interpreted them to us. I was restored to my position, and the other man was impaled. So, Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and he was quickly brought from the dungeon. When he had shaved and changed his clothes, here we have another change of clothes. Do you realize every single time Joseph changes clothes, he has to change the scenery? Something's about to happen here because he's changed his clothes again. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream and no one can interpret it, but I've heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Verse 16, I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but... God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, In my dream, I was standing on the bank of the Nile. Don't worry, he gives a few more details. When out of the river there came up seven cows, fat and sleek, and they grazed among the reeds. After them, seven other cows came up, scrawny and very ugly and lean. I had never seen such ugly cows in all the land of Egypt. The lean, ugly cows ate up the seven fat cows that came up first. But even after they ate them, no one could tell that they had done so. They looked just as ugly as before. Then I woke up. Verse 22, in my dream, I saw, in other words, in this second dream, I saw seven heads of grain full and good, growing on a single stalk. After them, seven other heads sprouted, withered and thin and scorched by the east wind. The thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven good heads. 
I told this to the magicians, but none of them could explain it to me. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one and the same. Most commentators say that the trouble that the magicians and the dream interpreters were having is they were trying to interpret them as two separate meanings, two separate things that were being communicated to him. So Joseph clarifies, says dreams are one and the same. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he's about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good heads of grain are seven years. It is one and the same dream. The seven lean, ugly cows that came up afterward are seven years, and so are the seven worthless heads of grain scorched by the east wind. They are seven years of famine. Verse 28, it is just as I said to Pharaoh, God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Seven years of great abundance are coming throughout the land of Egypt, but seven years of famine will follow them. Then all the abundance in Egypt will be forgotten and the famine will ravage the land. The abundance in the land will not be remembered because the famine that follows it will be so severe. The reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God and God will do it soon. And now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. Verse 34, let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land to take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. They should collect all the food of these good years that are coming and store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh to be kept in the cities for food. This food should be held in reserve for the uh, for the country to be used during the seven years of famine that will come upon Egypt, so that the country may not be ruined by the famine. Verse 37, the plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his officials. So Pharaoh asked them, can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there's no one so discerning and as wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in his robes of him uh, in, in robes of fine linen. Oh, here's, he changed him yet again. He dressed him in robes of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. He had him ride in a chariot as his second in command, and people shouted before him, make way. Thus, he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Verse 44, when uh, then Pharaoh said to Egypt, I am Pharaoh, but without your word, no one will lift a hand or foot in all Egypt. Pharaoh gave Joseph the name Zaphonath Paneah and gave, and gave him Ashenath, daughter of Potipharah. I know it sounds like Potiphar, but it's just a different name. A priest of On to be his wife. And Joseph went throughout the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from Pharaoh's presence and traveled throughout Egypt. During the seven years of abundance, the land produced plentifully. 
Joseph collected all the food produced in those seven years of abundance in Egypt and stored it in the cities. In each city, he put the food grown in the field surrounding it. Verse 49, Joseph stored up huge quantities of grain, like the sands of the sea. It was so much that he stopped keeping records because it was beyond measure. Before the years of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph by Ashenath, daughter of Potipharah, priest of On. Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh and said, It is because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. The second son he named Ephraim and said, It is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. Verse 53, the seven years of abundance in Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began just as Joseph had said. There was famine in all the other lands, but in the whole land of Egypt, there was food. When all Egypt began to feel the famine, the people cried to Pharaoh for food. Then Pharaoh told all the Egyptians, go to Joseph and do what he tells you. When the famine had spread over the whole country, Joseph opened up all the storehouses and sold grain to the Egyptians for the famine was severe throughout Egypt. And all the world came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe everywhere. All right, sorry, that was long compared to what we normally do, but we have to have the whole picture here. But I want us to start at the beginning and I want us to ask a a very relevant question because God gives this vision, these two dreams, to a pagan who claimed to be a god. So let's take a step back. I want you to see some things. Pharaoh has these two dreams, and we had mentioned it in previous weeks, but dreams were believed to be confirmed when they came in pairs. That's why Joseph has two dreams. One dream about uh, all these sheaves of grain bowing to his sheave of grain, and then it's followed up with a second dream of all these stars, even the sun and the moon, bowing down to him. These two dreams are confirming this is real, this is true. And then last week, once again, they came in pairs. Chief cupbearer, chief baker have dreams. But even beyond that, because Joseph gives the fulfillment by God's uh, inspiration and and, uh, interpretation of those dreams, it comes true. So when the chief cupbearer tells the Pharaoh about two dreams and they were fulfilled exactly as the interpreter said, that was even more confirmation to the Pharaoh that Joseph could interpret his two dreams. So when these things come in pairs, in their mindset in those days, that was confirmation. Now remember, to the Egyptians during that day, dreams came because during your sleep, that was the time when your mind was open to be able to connect with the celestial kingdom. So that was the time when the gods could communicate with you most, most clearly, is because your mind was in the state of consciousness that allowed the communication to happen. And so a couple of things are going on. Potiphar is feeling like, wow, the gods are communicating to me, but what are they saying? And probably one of his great fears uh, is, uh, is the imagery. Now, the Nile River, believe it or not, it wasn't until 1850 that people discovered the source of the Nile River. That's not that long ago, 1850. And as you look at uh, the belief system of the Egyptians of the day, 
because they didn't know where its source was. They all believed the source came from the gods, the Egyptian gods. And so there is actually one of the gods in, in particular that <coughs> was believed to be the god in charge of the flow of the Nile. And his name was Hop or Hap, depending on uh, which part of the country you're from. And uh, Hapi or Happy uh, is the term that they would call him when the Nile was in flood. That's how, that's how they would refer to him. So he caused the Nile to be at the level that it was. And so Pharaoh's a little bit concerned because with the cows coming from the Nile, in his mind, he sees this is a message coming from the gods. So pay attention because it's from the gods. It's coming. The second thing is everyone tries to figure out what, what is the imagery meaning in the dream. Because things are like, you know, associative. It's not exact. It's associative. And one of the big problems that commentators think that Pharaoh is struggling with, why he's so troubled, and this word troubled is much more, you wouldn't come up to someone and say, I am deeply troubled today. Uh, you would, you would, this phrase today, you'd say, I'm freaking out because I'm about to lose it. That's the, the meaning of the word that we translate as deeply troubled. Um, he's freaking out because as he looks at the imagery, the word for Pharaoh, and you can see it here on your study guide, I transliterated it to English from the Hebrew for it, but it's pero. I say pero. And if you're looking at something that's close to it, the close name perot, is uh, the name for cow. It's so similar that commentators think that his fear was that he was seeing the overthrow of his kingship. That he's the pharaoh, but there will be a leaner, uglier pharaoh who's going to come up, swallow his, his uh, power up, and take over. And so many commentators think that the reason why he's so troubled is he thinks this is a vision of the end of his kingdom. So he's deeply troubled about that. So let's talk about this. God could have given this message to Jacob and his 11 sons at home. He could have given the vision to Joseph or to any of his chosen ch children of Israel. What do you think it says about God that he gave these visions to the Pharaoh who espoused that he was a God himself. Why would God do that? Why do you think God did that? I want to go to the purple mic first, right here. Yes. Does he have a mic? Who has a purple mic? Good morning, Roy. There we go. David, good to see you. Good to see you. Um, I want to go back real quick to um, the very beginning in your comments about uh, Joseph and whether you get out of prison or not. Um, I, I think uh, a, a way out for Potiphar or for Pharaoh uh, upon hearing about, you know, this man that's been in prison for all this time could have been, you know, Pharaoh's got some politics he's got to deal with at home. Um, and, and, uh, Pharaoh's got politics, and basically they could have said, yeah, okay, you've been accused of attempted rape, uh, you're an alien, you're undesirable, so yeah, we're going to send you back home to your daddy in, in Canaan, you know, because 
And so that would have been a way that, and, and the other thing was, is when I read the verse about when, when uh, Joseph said uh, to, the, to the, was it the baker? The one that the one that lived. Oh, yeah, it's the cupbearer. The cupbearer, the butler. Um, you know, remember me. Yeah. And I, when I went through that, I misread it because I, I thought he was saying, remember me and get me out of here because I want to go home. Because I really think that at that point in Joseph's life, he really wanted to go home to his father. But imagine what a mess that would have been. Yeah. Uh, he would and his brothers would have said, "What are you doing here?" And his dad was like, "Wait a minute! You go off to this land and and you attempt to rape a woman, and this is how you represent the Hebrew people. What are you doing back here?" Uh, so I, I think there was an out there, um, but God had His ways, and He kept Joseph there for another two years, and so here we are. Yeah. Uh, and it's set up. Now, one of, the, one of the books I've had in my library forever is this book called Man and the Symbols by Carl Jung. And if you're familiar with Jung, he was, um, you know, psychoanalysis along with, with Freud. Freud was interested in how your mother potty trained you. And, and Jung was interested in your dreams and would do psychoanalysis through your dreams. Right. And there's lots of you know, the books, man, and, and symbols. Hmm. And so look at all the symbols and all the themes. And one of the things is, um, you know, death and rebirth is, is kind of a common theme there, too. In this case, um, one of the things that I read that, that I found interesting just this week, because I just picked this book up this week, finally, um, they talked to some... Uh, primitive tribes people it, it, back in the early days of their research, and they talked about the dreams that the people in these communities had, and they said the, the dreams of the common people are uh, of no consequence. The dreams of consequence are the dreams that are had by the elders, the chiefs, mm -hmm. uh, the shamans. Those are the dreams that are important because they portend things in the future. Those are the visions that they have to lead our community into the future. So those are yeah. the dreams that are paid attention to. Those are the ones that are analyzed. Those are the ones discerned, and we feel that they are leading. Yeah. And I thought, well, hey, that's very interesting because the leaders are the ones that are supposed to lead the group of people. Uh, and that, for me, underlined that God is the God of everybody. God mm -hmm. is the one that sets up rulers. He is the one that's going to lead the rulers uh, he's the God for everyone. So why wouldn't he give it to Pharaoh? Pharaoh's mm -hmm. the one with the resources. Yeah. He's the one that can make things happen. Joseph alone, Jacob alone, the, the brothers alone, they don't have the resources or the capacity to make anything happen. It's the Pharaoh that's in charge. So why wouldn't God be the God of everybody and give yeah. this to Pharaoh? That's a, that's a great, great, great point. I'm going to come back to that here in a little bit. I just want to touch on one thing that you said at the beginning. Uh, verse 51 touches on Joseph's feeling because when he's naming his children, which, by the way, the women typically name the children. Uh, just go through the, the experience of Leah and, and Rachel when they're having these kids, and they're the ones naming, and it means basically this whole experience that they're going through. You know, maybe he will love me now. Uh, Leah names one of her children. Um, but it's actually Joseph that names the kids, and in verse 51... Uh, you know, when you look at the meaning 
of Manasseh. It says, because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. And I think he needed, he didn't want to go back. I think <laughs> he, he wants to forget. Right? I think he needed those extra two years because, as you yeah. pointed out earlier in other sessions, mm -hmm. Joseph didn't have a normal childhood, and uh, he was coddled, and he needed those two additional years mm -hmm. to serve in that dungeon yeah. to mature into the man he became. Uh, yeah. And so then you have the other thing about in in the dungeon. And then suddenly he rises up yeah. and in between he has those changes of clothes. Yeah. And I think it's from the grave to the heavens. Mm -hmm. And I think there's an allegory for us. Yes. We're going to go from the grave to the heaven and we're going to have a change of clothes along the way. I love that, David. Great as always. Blue Mike. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> keeping in mind that this was a culture with so many deities yeah. and now we don't know, of course, if this particular pharaoh was the very first to claim that he himself was a deity. Yeah. God introduces the new dynamic of his sovereignty. That's, that's absolutely true. Because in, in Pharaoh's position, if this is the first or even if it's not, and the people are viewing him, all his courtiers are viewing him as you are not only connected to God, you are God incarnate, um, for that individual to then speak highly, and we're going to see here in just moments, uh, to speak highly of Elohim, which is the, the name uh, of God here in a moment, Joseph's God. Um, it's, it's probably the, the best um, uh, recommendation he could have given to his courtiers and to all of his people that uh, the God of Joseph is powerful, if not more powerful than even the Pharaoh himself in being, being able to explain things that Pharaoh himself could not understand in and of himself and with his connection to the other gods. And so, yeah, I love that. Uh, Red Mike, Randy. That's actually what I was going to say, that now Joseph is changing Pharaoh's narrative of a polyethic polytheistic uh, yeah. look of, of, of how everything worked into a monotheistic yeah. and that there's one God in when when he said Joseph is the one that has God in him mm -hmm. he was talking about the God and um, he, the reason uh, one of the commentaries I read uh, there was a goddess Hathor who was p depicted as a, a cow yeah. and she was the the goddess of fertility and also symbolized the mother of Pharaoh. That could have been something significant with the cows. Yeah. And I thought it was really neat that uh, Joseph named his sons Amnesia and Ambrosia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's why ladies should name the kids, right? Exactly. Blue Mike, right here. Blue Mike. Go ahead. When we look at uh, why he stayed an extra two years, in the prison, if the cupbearer remembered, then Joseph would have taken it that, you know, God didn't help me, it was this man. I explained his dream to him, yeah. and therefore he remembered me in his glory. But God wanted to make sure that Joseph did not give the glory to the cupbearer, but to God. And so when the time was ripe, and God was ready. 
he said to Pharaoh, okay, you're on the stage now, you're in charge. Mm. And of course the cupbearer, you know, God again caused the cupbearer to remember yeah. and brought the attention to uh, Pharaoh. I, I, I like that. You, uh, you, you definitely are touching on what happens when Joseph comes into the, the court of Pharaoh, the most powerful man on earth at that time. And Pharaoh, uh, you see on the, the back side of your study guide, um, you see that when the Pharaoh says, since God has made all this known to you, there's no one as discerning as wise as you. So here the Pharaoh is complimenting Joseph. Also, when you see Pharaoh comes in, uh, I mean, Joseph comes in and Pharaoh says to him, look, I understand you have this, this ability, the super ability. Joseph's response is what? Nope, I can't do it. There's a great difference between 17-year-old Joseph and 30-year-old Joseph, isn't there? Because when you look back at 17-year-old Joseph and he's talking about dreams, he's not talking about God. You can't find the mention of God anywhere with 17-year-old Joseph. It's all about Joseph. And when you see 30-year-old Joseph at a time when, yeah, it can be about him and it can get him out, he says, nope, I want to talk to you about God. Because there is a God who can do it, but it's not me. I want you to know right from the beginning, it's not me. There's a drastic maturity that takes place between 17 and 30. And it's in these moments when it'd be really easy for anyone who's immature spiritually to say, yeah, let me have a crack at it. And then go use your secret sauce. God, help me, help me to be able to, I know you want me out of slavery. Why would you want me? Your God is love. You wouldn't want me in prison, would you? You want to show me love. So let me have this opportunity to get out. And it would be about Joseph, Joseph, Joseph. But instead, this is about God. And because it's about God, he shows a connection to the most powerful God in their understanding at that time and in their experience here to come. And uh, because of his connection to this most powerful God, in fact, the Pharaoh during the time of Moses calls him the most high God, um, it allows Joseph to propel his life to greater heights because it's not about Joseph. It's about a person who is connected to the most high God. I feel the reason why many churches and Bible studies, whatever, are not growing and dynamic and bursting at the seams and standing room only is because it's about the people up front. And it's about the people in the pews. It's not about the most high God, that if you come, you're going to connect with that most high God. It's not about the person up front. It's not about the people. It's about, can we connect to the most high God who can do things we we never even thought to ask or imagine. And this is the experience that you see in this courtyard. Now, of course, we're running out of time. So I want to share with you a, a couple of details here, then I'm going to get to some of these mics. I want you to understand uh, a couple of things. First of all, Joseph's new position, uh, this signet ring. Signet is where is the root word where we get signature today. So the Pharaoh taking his own signature ring off of his finger and placing it on Joseph, he's known this guy for minutes, minutes. 
This tells you something. When someone connects with a person who is filled with the presence of God, it doesn't take days, weeks, months, years to build up credibility or trust. If you're out in the world trying to witness about a God that is not filling you and exuding out from you, you have no credibility. But if in the world you just invite the Holy Spirit in and say, fill me to overflowing, you will find people within seconds who are trusting you and the truth that you have about God and God's plan in your community, your sphere of influence, the people will immediately trust you. Because there's something that happens. Truth, especially God's truth, rings true like no other words that you could ever say. And when you speak the truth of God and it rings true to the people around you, you won't spend time arguing or trying to convince them because the Holy Spirit has already convinced them within seconds. So if you want to witness, stop trying to have the right words and, and, you know, am I profound and just say, am I filled with the Holy Spirit? Because God will convince people by his very presence, people will feel truth. And the Pharaoh felt so much truth that he took off his own signature. This would be like uh, the president of this huge company saying, I'm going to let you have the authority to sign all the checks. You're in charge of my money. You're in charge of everything. So he not only put this ring on, but they said that the ring was so recognizable that wherever Joseph went, that people would be like, this is like Pharaoh himself. Okay, in many ways, like the provost at a university is the president of the university because they do all the work, you know, of making sure all the details are taken care of. Joseph is the one who now, there is no one greater than, than Joseph. And all of this happens within minutes of meeting Joseph. It also talks about before he went in, they, they shaved him. They shaved his head and they shaved his face because the Egyptians in those days felt that if you grew facial hair or hair on your head, it was a sign that you were in mourning. You were deeply troubled about something you're in mourning. This is the interesting cultural thing. It was the exact opposite for the Hebrews. If a Hebrew would shave his face and shave his head, that was a symbol to all the Hebrews that, oh, they're, they're going through a deep time. Someone must have passed away in their family or someone's going through something really difficult. But it's the opposite. In fact, what historians say is even though we do have figurines that show um, some of the Egyptian nobility wearing hair or these beards, that those were actually fake beards that they would put on for special ceremonies and wigs that they would put on for certain ceremonies that, that called for it. But day to day, they always shaved their, their face and their head. Otherwise, it meant they were really sad about something. Um, and then I want to talk about this new name. I think this is the coolest thing. Pharaoh gave Joseph in verse 45 the name Zaphoneth Paneah. And that name means, according to many scholars, this name means the God spoke and he, the one who bears this name, lives. In other words, you look at what happened with Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel uh, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Peter. They, they all get new names, you know. Uh, and all those names were in honor of the Babylonian gods. This pharaoh gives a name 
that's in honor of Joseph Scott. Which tells you something, once again, when you're filled with God and it's not about you, the people around you will not only elevate you, but will elevate your God. And so I just think it's amazing that the Pharaoh would say, look, I want to, uh, I want to honor your God by giving you a new name. The other thing is this new naming in their culture was a, was a signal of a new fresh start. Yes, you've been known as, as Joseph, the slave, prisoner slave of Potiphar for 13 years. But I'm going to give you a fresh start so when people look at your ID, they won't even make the connection. And I'm going to give you royal clothes so that they'll never make the connection of you, the one in the striped prisoner clothes. Now you're the guy with the royal garments. In fact, I'm going to take it one step further. And I'm going to do something that's only reserved for nobility. I'm going to marry you to someone from the priestly class. And only nobility was allowed to do that. And so he marries him to the daughter of the priest of On. It's Heliopolis is what most people know that place. But that is the center of the worship of the highest of the Egyptian gods, Ra. And so what Pharaoh is doing here is saying, I, I recognize what your God is all about so much that I'm not only going to give you this highest authority other than my throne, I'm not only going to give you second in command in this chariot and send these guys to say, bow down, this, this guy's here. I'm going to give you authority that, by the way, there's an idiom that's used in Hebrew that really confused me when I first was reading through it. Um, because when it says that, uh, that all my people are to submit to your orders in verse 40, the actual literal words are, all my people will kiss you on your mouth. which is not what it meant literally, okay? It's like we have idioms, he kicked the bucket. Well, he didn't really take his foot and knock over a bucket. We know what that means. So uh, he gives him this high, high authority. So what does this tell you that God is doing not to the life of Joseph? This is like bonus for Joseph. We have to ask the question, what is, God, what is God doing in the life of Pharaoh? What's he doing to Pharaoh, and, and what's his plan? And I think, is this the next mic right over here? Red mic, right here. Yeah, go for it. Thank you. Um, I just, in all of the relationship Joseph had with God, yeah. because based on that, that's how he was managing all the hardships that he was facing. Mm -hmm. He never got bitter yeah. to God. On the other hand, he was confident that his God will make him rise at the right time, yeah. no matter how long it will take. Mm. And I think for us and for me, what is telling me this story is that I need to have a deep, 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 deep relationship with God mm. every day. Yeah. That's the only way, like you say, we can be witnesses. We can share the gospel yeah. is by how deep I trust, I am confident 
that my God, no matter what happens, he will get me through it. Absolutely. I love that. And I have a question for all of you. And I, yeah, I see some love it cards on that one. I have a question for all of you. Does God love Joseph more than you? No? So God's going to help you through it as well, no matter what you're going through right now? God's going to pull you through and your testimony on the other side will have your story about how God took you from the darkness and the deep disappointments of life and he rose you up? That's the story of Joseph. But here's the even cooler part. What's the story of Pharaoh? God has a million solutions to every problem. Famine's coming. And yeah, Joseph's theology, and this is the even cooler part, Joseph's theology is so weak that even though, like you said, he's striving to have a relationship with God, his theology is so weak that he thinks God is bringing the famine. God will cause the famine. We know because of comparative scripture that that is not really a theologically accurate belief. That God does not bring calamity. So what is God doing in this situation in the life of Pharaoh? Here's the coolest thing. God had all these different ways he could resolve this. He could have given a vision to Jacob and the eleven. He could have given a vision to Joseph in a way that could have been passed to the Hebrews. And the Hebrews could have been the only nation that had food ready. It could have been God's chosen people as the heroes of the day. God could have done that, but instead, what does he do? He works through Pharaoh to say, I want to bless you, Pharaoh. I don't want you going hungry. I want you to be a blessing to all the nations around when they're starving. I want to make you incredibly rich. In fact, theologians say that it's this moment, these, these famines, that actually propelled Egypt into the highest levels of power and leadership in all the world because of this famine. God could have done that to the Hebrews. If you compare this story, what God's doing with this Pharaoh, with the story of Moses and that Pharaoh, you see what God is trying to do is save Pharaoh and Egypt by helping them understand there's another God. Another God that cares enough to let you know in advance what's coming so you can prepare, so you can be ready, so you can be saved. It is to the pagan that God sends the vision. It's not to his chosen people. It's to the people who, unlike Joseph, have a lot of theologically things incorrect in their mind. But you serve a God who says, I want to work with the people who don't know me in a way that they will know me so that hopefully someday they'll live with me for eternity. That's the God we serve. Not a God who looks at pagans and says, I'm going to zap you, I'm going to fry you because you disagree with me and you don't acknowledge me. It's a God who says, I will take even these tough situations and I will take people who listen to me and connect them with you so that you will have the opportunity to be introduced to a God who actually cares. That's the God you serve. And the message in chapter 41 is so much less about Joseph and so much more about the Pharaoh. 
because God's greatest desire, just like during the Exodus time with Moses, God's desire, his plan A was to save Egypt and be in a relationship with Egypt. And if that's the God we serve, one who reaches out to the people who not only are unconcerned, but they have their own solutions, their own answers, their own level of importance that doesn't include God. If we serve a God who wants to work directly with those people, why don't we? Because this is the God who says, I love you too much to allow you to go through your life without being impacted by my love and my care for you. Oh, and it's my prayer that this week you are completely impacted by the amazing infinite love of God. Now, I also wanna invite you to come back for our next episode because as we go through the story of Joseph's life in Genesis chapter 42, you're gonna see something that might very well relate to your life more than you wish that it did. We're gonna talk about when the past you've buried comes back to haunt you. I hope to see you then. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Bible Lab Podcast. If you're planning a trip to Southern California, make sure to reserve your VIP seats in the Bible Lab by emailing us at info at thebiblelab.com. Programs are recorded each Saturday at 10.30 a.m. We hope to see you soon. Until then, we wish you God's richest blessings as you continue to research and develop the character of God.